I would work from sunup to sundown every day. The good news was that it gave me such joy to do this work. It's something that I think you have to be intentional about doing, and you've got to do it with a sense of joy, because if you don't, it's not sustainable. Welcome to Career Relaunch, the podcast dedicated to helping you understand how to reinvent your career. My name is Joseph Liu, and I'm here to help you gain the clarity, confidence, and courage to overcome the challenges of making changes to your career so you can do more meaningful work and enjoy your professional life. In each episode, I feature people who have decided to step off the beaten path to reinvent their careers and do work that matters. We talk through their unique personal stories, the challenges they overcame, and the lessons they learned along the way to help you understand what it takes to relaunch your own career. Today, my guest is going to discuss how she relaunched her career from being a management consultant to the CEO of a mobile app company. We'll discuss prioritizing what's important, along with the dynamics of transitioning between the corporate world and solopreneurship. Afterwards, during today's Mental Fuel, I'll talk about setting reasonable expectations for yourself. Hello from Turkey. I'm here for a couple weeks with my wife and daughter, making pit stops in Istanbul, Ankara, and Eskishahir before heading back to London. Before we start today's interview, I wanted to let you know I'm going to be returning to The Guardian in London to host my second personal branding workshop on how to build a clear personal brand on the evening of Wednesday, June the 12th. This is part of The Guardian's Masterclasses, a series of workshops to help you improve your career and life. And in my three-hour workshop, I'm going to be covering how to use product branding principles to build your personal brand and reinforce your reputation. We'll cover techniques you can use in professional settings, social media, and job application materials to stand out and differentiate yourself in your organization and industry. So if you're in London and you want to learn a few simple techniques to reinforce your personal brand and open up more career opportunities for yourself, you can register for my workshop at careerrelaunch.net slash June 19. The course is limited to 36 students and is typically 99 pounds. But Career Relaunch podcast listeners can get 10% off by using the discount code RELAUNCH during checkout. Again, you can register at careerrelaunch.net slash June19. Okay, on to today's interview, where I'm speaking with Chinwei Anyagoro, CEO of PocketSuite, who sees an opportunity to give early-stage independent service professionals specific and useful tips to help them grow their businesses. She's been the president of Great Places to Work, a top management consultant, an advisor to Fortune 1000 executives and the U.S. Small Business Administration, and a TEDx speaker. She currently serves on the boards of private equity firms and lending institutions that have invested more than $1 billion in small and medium enterprises that create good jobs in underserved communities, and is a Henry Crown Fellow at the Aspen Institute. Chinwei has also co-authored publications with the Pepperdine School of Business, the Federal Reserve Bank of Chicago, and the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco, focused on business financing and financial health. She's also written for Entrepreneur Magazine, among others. You can get all the show notes from today's episode at careerrelaunch.net slash 59. Chinwei spoke with me from San Francisco. Good morning, Chinwei, and welcome to Career Relaunch. Great to have you on the show. Thanks so much, Joseph. Great to be here. So we are going to talk about a few different topics today. We're going to talk about your career pivots from consulting to your time at Great Places to Work to eventually co-founding your own company. But I was hoping you could start by telling us about what you're focused on right now in your career and your life just to get us kicked off. I am the mother of uh, two sweet kids under the age of two. So that gives you a hopefully a clear picture of what my days look like. 
As I think about my career and what, what I'm focused on today, what I'm really focused on is really helping entrepreneurs, primarily independent professionals, live their best life. We have an, an app, a mobile app that is used by tens of thousands of entrepreneurs around the country to communicate with their clients, to schedule their clients, and to get paid by their clients. It's a really, really gratifying feeling to wake up in the morning and to see uh, business happening on something that we built. We process about $80 million of income for these entrepreneurs a year and schedule about a million appointments for them a year. This is for everyone from your local dog walker to your fitness trainer, to your life coach, to your therapist. So anyone who's making a living, working on their own, delivering their talent to you and your community could be using our app, which is called Pocket Suite. I want to hear a little bit more about Pocket Suite at the end. And so we're going to come back to that. But before we go back in time, I did have a question about your life because you did mention you have two kids under the age of two. And I'm just wondering if you can tell us how you go about balancing motherhood and parenthood with running your own company. There's no such thing as balance, Joseph. I wish there was. It's the field of dreams, you know. What I'll say is that guilt is a really, really powerful motivator. <laughs> um, and what I do is I think about the things that I want for them. And then I really try to execute that in the moment. So rather than doing a lot of planning and feeling a lot of angst. Every day, I try to just make progress in their presence. So one example is, you know, I'm originally from Nigeria, and I've always loved languages, and, and I speak my native tongue, which is Igbo. And I really want my kids to speak our native tongue. And so rather than hoping to hire a tutor one day and, and have them go to lessons somewhere in, in Nigeria, which isn't going to happen anytime soon. I spend you know 30 minutes every morning doing numbers and colors and alphabet with them in Igbo. And then throughout the day, I just speak to them only in Igbo. And my husband jokes, he's like, you know, if they were going to go to University of Lagos, I'd be thrilled about this. But I'm concerned about their SAT scores when they speak better Igbo than they do English. So we, we joke about it. But I, I feel so proud to, to just be able to carve out some time, a little time each day for something that I really, a gift I really want to give them, which is the, the gift of bilingualism. So that's just one example of, of how I I just try to find moments and, and be present in those moments um, in a way that, that fills me and hopefully fills them. Um, and I don't try to do it all. I forgive myself for all the things that I'm sure I'm not doing as a mother that also has a career. Yeah, I've heard that you can always be doing more. And at the same time, you can't do everything. So I've heard, I heard the term today for the very first time, work-life blend instead of balance, because they really do run into one another. And I certainly experience quite a bit of that myself. So uh, yeah, I think that's great you're doing that. And you're absolutely correct. The bilingualism is a gift. I wish I was better at Chinese than I am, but uh, you know that's life. So I think it's great you're doing that. It's never too late, Joseph. <laughs> I continue to work on it. So, and I'm trying to give some of that Chinese to, to my own daughter right now. So I'd like to go back now and talk a little bit about the start of your career because you haven't always been the 
co-founder and CEO at Pocket Suite. I was wondering if you could tell us about your time way back during your days at McKinsey, and then we can move forward from there. I joined McKinsey and Company, which is a global management consultancy, right out of college. I went to went to Harvard University. When you graduate from schools like like Harvard, there are a couple of options for you in terms of what they deem as success path wise. And when I was coming up, really that was investment banking, management consulting, going into medicine, or going into law. Those were really the paths. You know, anything else was kind of nice. And so, you know, I checked box number two, management consulting, and I went on to McKinsey and Company, which has a tremendous reputation and it's well deserved. It's a strategy consulting firm. We work with large, large companies that are trying to continue to grow and, and maintain their market share. And we joke that we're we're coming out of college and we are put in these really prominent positions with senior executives and we're helping them figure out what they should do next. And uh, there was at one point, and I think it was a New York Times or an Economist article that, that basically branded McKinsey consultants as kids in the conference room uh, because <laughs> we take folks who are 20 to 30 year veterans in their industry and we are called to essentially question their approach and bring data to inform their decision making, um, you know, with virtually no experience in the industry. And we do it really well and we inform them, you know, in a way that, that helps create value, which is why McKinsey is now 30,000 strong in terms of employees uh, around the world. So it was a tremendous time for me. I learned a lot. They say that working at McKinsey is almost like drinking from a fire hose because in a very short amount of time, you learned a tremendous amount about the industries that you're working in, about the kind of companies that you're working for, and about what it takes to win in the marketplace. I know that McKinsey is a really sought after company for not only undergraduate university students, but also people coming out of business schools, finishing their MBA. And I know it's a, a really amazing place to work from the friends and colleagues of mine who I know have worked there. I know you were there a couple of years and it sounds like a fantastic opportunity. What made you decide you wanted to move on and do something else? McKinsey is really great, you know, if you want to learn a lot about a variety of industries, kind of be a generalist. But if you want to go deep in a particular industry, it's kind of tough, right? You've kind of got to wait maybe 10, 15 years to become a partner and then have the luxury of focusing on an industry. I really had an interest in creating value over the long term in one industry in particular. I didn't have an opportunity to do that at McKinsey. I have an older brother who's a self-taught philosopher, and I always talk to him at different pivot points in my career. And, you know, I was looking and thinking what industry would help me do what I want to do, which is create value in a local marketplace and create wealth for communities. And he, he said to me, he says, look, when you look at the world, you know, multimillionaires, billionaires, the vast majority of them made their money in real estate or have a disproportionate amount of their assets in real estate. That may be an industry you want to take a closer look at. And so I took it, you know, and, and I ran with it. And I, I joined the Pritzker uh, Realty Group under Penny Pritzker, our former Secretary of Commerce. The Pritzker opportunity sounds incredible. Also, at the same time, I know that some people who have really sought after jobs when they're thinking about moving on to something else, there's this question in their mind about whether it's going to be as good as or as rewarding as the role they currently have at their current company. How did you think about that and the, the potential risk in maybe landing somewhere that wouldn't be as rewarding or maybe wouldn't be as reputable or well-known? 
I have spent a lot of time in my career chasing credentials. At a very early age, I knew I wanted to go to Harvard. You know, McKinsey was one of the top consulting firms, knew I wanted to have that on my resume. When I made that next move from McKinsey to real estate, it was important for me to kind of set down the resume and really start to think about functional skills that I could build that would ultimately set me up to ultimately be an entrepreneur one day. And so it became less important about credentials, kind of collecting credentials for the resume, and much more important, what am I going to learn? What exposure am I going to have to principals who are making decisions that I will be in a position to make one day? And so the Prisco organization was incredibly important to me because I was one hop from Penny Pritzker. And I was able to see the way in which she made decisions, uh, the thoughtfulness, the insight, the sense of patience about you know making sure that you make a decision and then you give yourself the opportunity to allow that decision to, to come to fruition or your hope around that decision to come to fruition. So it was really important to me to be really close to the decision-making power and ultimately the, the set of information needed to make really smart decisions. And I got that in spades at Pritzker Realty Group. I know the next chapter was more of an entrepreneurial chapter for you, as you alluded to. I know we probably can't get into every single one of your roles between Pritzker and when you landed at Great Places to work, but could you just take us briefly through that transition of moving from being an investment associate to moving into the entrepreneurial space, which I know set up the foundation for the work that you're doing right now? Although I loved it, I decided to leave because I thought I was ready to go out and to be an entrepreneur to take my skills that I'd learned to the marketplace and add some value. And so I initially started a consulting firm that focused on um, real estate, in particularly low-income communities, really helping to revitalize the real estate in those communities, create jobs, and attract retail. I built a company that was a multi-million dollar business. I had about 10 employees, and I was working around the country, focused on helping small and mid-sized businesses uh, raise capital, helping them identify new locations to expand to, and then also helping those communities really attract the right type of retail and economic investments. So it was really gratifying. As always, when you're doing consulting, eventually you do get an itch. So at some point, I decided to transition OH Community Partners to my partner at the time, my co-founder at the time, so I could go out and, and join the, the startup world and take an idea that we had surfaced at OH Community Partners and actually put it to work in the market. Did you find that there were any sacrifices or maybe surprising things you had to give up in order to be so focused on growing this business to the level that it, that it grew to? As an entrepreneur, you have to give it all up. I gave it all up. I would work from sunup to sundown every day, including weekends. The weekends are just another day for work, right? <laughs> just, you're not getting as many inbound calls and emails on the weekend. That's the only difference. So you're really giving up the social aspects of your life. You're throwing everything you have, everything you are into this work. And for me, it was about community development, which you know that takes 10 years on a good day to really realize your vision around a community. So there's no shortage of things that you can be doing every second of every day. And so I poured my heart and soul into it. The good news was that 
it gave me such joy to do this work, right? Because if it was painful, that would be doubly difficult to do, right? But it was, it gave me such joy to be solving these kinds of problems. I picked this work, I picked the communities, I picked my clients. So I had all the choice in the world and I made that choice and then I committed myself fully to that choice. So I gave up so much from the standpoint of a social life. My family would routinely joke that, you know, don't bother calling Chinway. You know, she'll, she'll call you back in like six weeks, right? Like, <laughs> uh, they couldn't reach me because I was always at work. And so it's something that I think you have to be intentional about doing and you've got to do it with a sense of joy because if you don't, it's not sustainable. Yeah, well, speaking about work that you love doing, and it sounds like you really did enjoy this work, I do want to talk about your time at Great Places to Work, which is an organization that actually profiles some really amazing companies to work for. Tell us a little bit about what you did at Great Places to Work, and then I've got a couple questions for you related to some of the observations you had at that organization. Yes, Great Places to Work. That was perhaps my best experienced, you know, as an employee of an organization. It's a tremendous organization that that has, you know, a singular mission, which is to ensure that every employee in the workplace, whether they're in the boardroom or uh, sweeping in the basement, is having a great experience of work and is able to then do their best work for those organizations. A lot of people, Chinway, listening to this show are looking for new roles because their company is not a great place to work for them. What are a couple of the criteria you realized through your work at that organization are the most important that may be a little less obvious to people when they're trying to find a great place to work? Great Place to Work has a very, very clear point of view and, and frankly, a formula, an algorithm for, for how they've arrived at that point of view. And there are three main things that makes for a great place to work that any individual can really see for themselves, whether you're interviewing or whether you currently work for the organization. The first is that the people at that organization, the employees have pride in what they do, a sense of purpose. We're not just creating profits. We're not just growing for growth's sake. We're doing something meaningful in the marketplace for our clients, something that adds value to their lives. So when people feel a real connection to the purpose of an organization, that makes a huge difference in terms of the workplace experience. The second is that there's a sense of camaraderie between the employees. When you show up to work, do you have a best friend at work? Do you have folks that you actually enjoy going out for a beer with after work? Do you have a sense that people care about each other in your workplace? Because it's you're, it's a place where you're spending 70% of your waking life. So you, you've got to have some people that you feel close to there. Otherwise, the sacrifice is too great to be away from family and friends. Um, that's the second thing. The third thing is arguably the most, the single most important thing that makes for a great workplace experience. And that is, do you trust the people that you work for? Are they credible? Are they fair? Do they treat you with respect? Those are the elements of trust. And if people don't trust the management, the people that they work for, they don't look up and feel like those folks have integrity, they're doing the right things, they're treating us fairly, and they're giving us every opportunity to succeed here, then game over in terms of being able to retain top talent. Game over in terms of making sure people are showing up, fired up to execute against your mission and your performance goals and everything that you're looking for your company to be. So those are the, the, the sort of three things that we really focused on, we measured, and we used as an assessment tool to say, is this a great place to work? 
So purpose, camaraderie, and trust. And as I was listening to you, I actually just had lunch with a friend of mine earlier today and she was talking about her workplace and she was talking to me about how she actually really likes her job, but she works primarily with four other people and doesn't really like any of them and none of the other people really like each other either, which I think isn't uncommon for people to to not exactly love spending time with their immediate colleagues. Do you have any thoughts or just advice for people who find themselves in a situation where they're not exactly looking forward to spending the majority of their waking hours with their colleagues? That actually is the rarer thing. When you look at, you know, Gallup does a bunch of surveys about about the workplace experience. And the thing that tends to come up is that people can find some people at work that they're really close to. That's actually the more common thing. The harder thing is trusting the people they work for. So I would say that if if it's really just four of them at work, that's going to be really, really tough, right? If there's no other outlet or no other team that they can join where they feel like they're they're more aligned from a values perspective or more feeling a, a greater sense of connection and care, it may be time to, to find a different opportunity or to maybe look for a remote work opportunity with their company so that they can be in an environment, be in a space where they feel a sense of connection and care and, and love, or, or at least create their own environment where they feel that they can do their best work. Because ultimately, it does start to wear on you when you're working with people where you just don't feel that, that sense of connection. So I feel like we could talk about this topic of great places to work for so long, and that could fill an entire episode. And yet I do want to get on to this (laughs) other topic of solopreneurship, where people are running their own service or or product-based company. Can you first tell me about the transition that you went through and what convinced you to, to move on from great places to work to then eventually found Pocket Suite? And then we can get into the nitty gritty of, of the world of solopreneurship. Great Place to Work was a great place to work for me right up until my life circumstances changed. My husband and I had been trying to have kids for about four or five years. It was a long time to be on that journey. I'd gone through several rounds of IVF unsuccessfully. I'd had several operations. None of them were successful. And so at some point, I had given up and I sort of refocused on just work. And let me let me just kind of do that all, all that I can do with what I have and with the family that I have today. And then, of course, you know, like clockwork, baby number one came unexpectedly <laughs> um, after my husband and I had literally given up. And I remember it. I, I, I shared the positive test with my husband and he, and he literally thought it was a joke. And, <laughs> um, and I had to do a lot of you know, convincing, go take a blood test to finally convince him that like, this is real. So, so that was fine. And, and I think at the time I thought, you know, nothing has to change. The baby's here and we're just going to keep rolling with it. And that, you know, I think was my you know, naivete. So we, we brought in a full-time nanny who lived with us. And I was traveling four out of five days a week for a great place to work. I was in you know, boardrooms um, in all the major Fortune 500 companies talking to them about how their workplace experience can directly impact their, their profits and their growth. And it was tremendous. And yet I was watching my daughter, Uma, grow up uh, via a Nest camera, 30,000 feet in the air. And that was tough for me. <laughs> that was tough. Uh, but it was a choice that I made and, and I was sort of rolling with it. However, 14 months later, uh, baby number two arrived. And at that point, I felt like something had to change. Uh, I was still traveling 
a significant amount uh, because that was the work that needed to be done. And I realized that if I could keep going this way for their entire childhood, and, and that would not have been a great workplace experience for me. And so I regrettably had to step off what is a tremendous moving train uh, that is Great Place to Work and reassess how I could make a contribution in a different way that allowed me to be a greater part of my, my infant and toddler's life. And so I, uh, I stepped out of Great Place to Work in late 2017. Now, we've got listeners on this show, Chinwei, who are parents. We've got listeners on this show who are not parents. So I feel like this topic may be more relevant to certain people than others. And at the same time, if, if anybody out there is thinking about having kids and they are focused on their professional life at the same time, I was wondering if you could give us a glimpse into what you found most surprising about trying to balance the two when baby number two came along. I am a type A personality. I do want to be the best at whatever I'm doing. I do want to feel like I am delivering 100%. And I think what was most surprising to me in having one child, let alone two, is that there's just no way to get to 100%. You wake up in the morning already behind. I'm waking up in the morning and the baby's crying already, right? And so I was like, I haven't even started and I'm, I'm behind. And so throughout the day, you feel like you're not enough, right? Like you feel like it's never enough. Like there's always something else to do, right? That when they're sleeping, I, I have a choice between do I do their laundry? Do I sneak in some work? Do I take a little nap? Can I eat? Like you're, you're just, you're making a series of choices that are all necessities, but you're, you're really having to choose one because there's only so many hours in the day. And so for me, I had never been in a position where I couldn't get it all done. And so I've started to make some really tough choices, all choices between things that all are great and should happen, but can't all happen. And so it's, it's really tough as a type A to say, no, it won't get done. And no, I didn't achieve 100%. I can completely relate to everything you just said. And we've only got one child. So that's really interesting. Trying to balance it all and also to keep your own expectations of yourself in check. The last thing I was hoping to talk with you about before we wrap up, Chinwei, is some of the work that, that you're doing there at Pocket Suite. And I do want to talk about the product at the end. Right now, I'd really like to just get your insights into the world of solopreneurship, because I know that Pocket Suite is all about empowering business owners and making their lives a little bit easier as business owners. As someone who's crossed paths with a lot of people who have started their own businesses and either had them work out or not work out, what do you think separates those people who are able to successfully launch and grow an independent business from those who don't succeed? I think there's a big difference between folks who want to make some supplemental income and those who want to start a business, right? And I think sometimes those two folks get confused. There's no shortage of people who can make some supplemental income. You can do things on the weekend, you know, you can do hair, you can do facials, you can, you know, be a life coach on the weekend. You can do all of that and you can make some extra income and you can still hold down a full or part-time job while you do that. And it's actually not that overwhelming. So that's available to anyone and anyone should try it. 
if making some additional income and doing something you, you really like above and beyond your work is an aspiration. I think it's a much smaller group of folks that are really cut out to create their own businesses. This means that you are eating what you kill, right? This means you don't have another source of income. This is it. The kind of folks that I think really do well at creating their own business. Number one, they are motivated. They're motivated finding clients. Like they really enjoy the hunt. They enjoy finding clients. They enjoy selling themselves. As a business owner, the number one thing you're doing is selling yourself. It's not your service. You're selling yourself. Why work with me versus working with that next massage therapist or working with that next mobile detailer or what have you, right? Like why, why work with me? And so you've got to be really good at it and you've got to enjoy it finding clients. And not most people don't enjoy it. There was a book written, I think it was in the the 90s or a little later that was called The E-Myth. And the gentleman said, the the worst thing you can do if you love to bake is to create a bakery because you will not be baking. You will be out finding clients. You will be doing accounting. You will be doing everything but baking. And if all you're doing is baking, you won't be in business long. That is a reflection of what it means to be a business owner is that the talent that you have, the service you want to deliver, you know, you should be spending if you want to have a successful business, only 20 to 30% of your time on actually delivering that service. The rest of your time has to be spent on other stuff in building the business, in recruiting clients. And I think most people don't recognize that when they go out to create their own business and and when they go out to be an independent professional. And the moment they do, you have a pivot point, right? One is they're super excited and they go all in and learn as much as they can about all those other things they need to understand to do this well. And the other pivot point is, I'm going to go get a job. I'm going to go back to the workforce because this is too hard. The joy I was expecting to get from this work, I'm not getting. And so I am better off at least having a predictable paycheck than struggling in this way, doing something that I actually don't enjoy doing. Now, talking about the people who end up at that pivot point where they decide they need to go back to a regular, more traditional, full-time, steady job, what have you found to be the biggest challenge amongst those people when it comes to returning back to the corporate world after going freelance, and I guess what's behind my question is I do talk to people who have tried to start their own businesses and it hasn't worked out, but the thought of returning to the corporate world just terrifies them. What do you think is the biggest challenge of going back? If it's returning to corporate, I think there's sort of, it depends, right? I think if you're in a profession where the experience, the experience of entrepreneurship actually has helped you build some additional skill sets that can help you in corporate. It's tremendous. The people who return interview so well, right? So if you're going back into like marketing or accounting or finance and you were running your own business, you've got such great stories to tell about the mistakes people make, about how you'd like to help them solve those kinds of problems about how you've lived it firsthand, it's actually a cakewalk, I think, to go back. Other than just like the guilt of, of not making it work, you actually have a lot more opportunities and you're a much more interesting candidate if you are, I think, in that realm. I think where it gets difficult is where you've been away for so long and you were in an industry that is not the industry you're returning back to. So then there is 
a whole set of potentially professional certifications and, and advancements that have happened in that industry that you're not aware of and that you're not, uh, you're not in a position then to hit the ground running and executing against in a new job. That's where I think it becomes tricky and where you need some kind of uh, retraining support before you go back so that you can actually be competitive as a candidate um, in a recruiting process. I think that's really where it, it gets a little tricky. I think if you're working for some of the kind of most elite firms and, and you leave the McKinsey's of the world, uh, the Googles of the world, and you leave, you are welcomed back, right? Because you have that entrepreneurial experience and that only makes you more interesting and more valuable to the company. But if you are Working for an uh, you know an organization where you know there's a whole set of of skills that you need to learn or there's a, there's a whole set of clients that you need to be able to recruit to come back maybe in in the legal field as an example uh, then it becomes a little tricky and you need to be able to come back with something that shows that you can hit the ground running and add value immediately because oftentimes you're returning at mid management level or above where you're expected to be billing a certain amount of hours. You're expected to have a certain client roster. And if you don't, then you become more of a, you know, an expense than you do a profit center for these companies. Well, one more question before we wrap up with what you're doing now. You had alluded to living your best life at the very start of this podcast and trying to help other business owners live their best lives. And you've clearly had a range of professional experiences and you've also crossed paths with people who are trying to live their best lives. Taking these experiences into account, what does it mean for you personally to live your best life? I really believe that I'm living it now, Joseph. So I joined Pocket Suite. And when I joined, we had about four employees. And they are all based in San Francisco. And we were going into an office in the financial district. Sort of fast forward to a little, little bit more than 24 months later... We are a distributed company. We have 10 employees. So we have a a remote team around the country. I wake up in the morning, I get on Slack, and I see my teammates rocking it, you know, posting gifts about sales they've just closed or support issues they've just figured out and problem solved. They're processing payments for people and giving people the money they need to keep growing their business and feeding their families. And it's all happening virtually. And I'm able to take a break at 11 a.m. in the morning and take my son Yang for a, a walk, you know, in our neighborhood and come back and do this podcast with you. And I have maximum flexibility in my life. And I'm still able to create tremendous amount of value in a marketplace that has 300 million independent professionals that are looking for ways to ensure that they have the income they need to to do the things they'd like to do in their lives. So for me, I feel like I'm contributing to a big, big market problem, but I'm not having to sacrifice my daily life, my family, you know, my sense of personal development and wellness to do it. And that for me is is definitely living my best life. Fantastic. Well, can you just wrap us up here by telling me a little bit more about what's next for you and also what's next for Pocket Suite? You alluded to the growth that has happened. I'm curious, looking ahead, what do you hope is in your future and Pocket Suite's future? We've been um, growing, you know, by two, three, five X over the last couple of years. So we're we're on a really great trajectory. And so our goal this year is to reach 
the 30,000 mark in terms of um, service professionals that are using our app to uh, run their business. And we have a long, long list from Canada to the UK to Australia of folks who want to see Pocket Suite in their marketplace. So we want to end the year so strong with 30,000 service professionals in the US that really sets ourselves up to be able to launch Pocket Suite in a few other markets around the world. And in order to do that, we need to be able to recruit some really talented people in the U.S. and beyond to help us continue to expand. So hoping, Joseph, that some of your listeners have an itch to do something entrepreneurial and to help other entrepreneurs, I would love to hear from them. Fantastic. Well, if there are solopreneurs out there or entrepreneurs who want to learn more about Pocket Suite or even just solopreneurship in general, where can they go? please visit our website at pocketsuite.io and uh, feel free to text us because we are a a mobile app that uh, helps folks run their business over text. Text us at 415-841-2300. Looking forward to hearing from you. And uh, Joseph, it's it's been tremendous having this, uh, this conversation with you. Great. Well, we will be sure to include those links in the show notes. And I'll also include a link to... Sweet Town, which I know is a part of your website that just gives some unique and useful industry insights and tips and tools for people who are interested in starting and running their own business. So thank you so much for telling us more about your own career pivots and most importantly, the dynamics of both your own career journey as a founder and also the dynamics of solopreneurship. So best of luck with Parenthood and Pocket Suite, and I hope it all goes well for you. Thanks, Joseph. I'll need, a, I'll need more luck with parenthood. I appreciate okay. that. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much. So I hope you enjoyed hearing Chinway's thoughts on approaching your work with joy, the dynamics of running your own business, and the choices she's made so she can live the life she wants. Now it's time to wrap up with today's Mental Fuel, where I'm going to share a few thoughts on setting reasonable expectations for yourself. Before we get to today's mental fuel, I wanted to thank Brand Yourself for supporting this episode of Career Relaunch. Brand Yourself offers simple tools and services to help control what people find when they Google you. To clean up, protect, and improve how you look online, visit brandyourself.com and use promo code RELAUNCH to get 50% off a premium membership. This is the part of the show called Mental Fuel, where I finish the show with a brief personal story related to one of the topics we covered today and wrap up with a simple challenge to help you move forward with your own career goals. For today's Mental Fuel, I'd like to pick up on a couple of the things Chinway mentioned about realizing you can't give 100% to everything and the importance of approaching your work with joy. I want to talk specifically about setting reasonable expectations for yourself and recognizing that you do have limits to what you can get done in a single day. So I'll start by saying this is an ongoing struggle for me. Like Chin Wei, I would describe myself as a type A person who's very goal-oriented, and I find the feeling of achievement to be rewarding and satisfying. So that means I tend to expect a lot out of myself. And I'd consider myself a reasonably efficient person when it comes to getting stuff done. 
this tendency to push myself to try to achieve more and more has been a part of who I am for as far back as I can remember, going all the way back to childhood from the days in elementary school when I practiced the violin literally every single day to my days in high school playing competitive tennis. I remember waking up at 5 a.m. every morning during summer vacations to put in a solid hour just practicing my tennis serve. Because I don't know if you've ever spent a summer in Missouri, but it gets pretty humid over there during the days. Now, on the one hand, this willingness to push myself has served me well in my life. I feel like hard work is what helped me achieve some of the things I'm most proud of in my personal and professional life. But on the other hand, this need I feel to maximize my productivity every single day comes at a cost sometimes actually oftentimes. And this idea of paying more attention to my limits has really been on my mind the past couple weeks because for those of you who get my newsletter, you may know that earlier this year, I started trying to slow down a little bit because I was just feeling kind of depleted. Just a couple weeks ago, I actually went to the hospital because I was having these weird heart flutters. I was kind of short of breath and was just feeling a bit out of sorts. The doctor told me I should be fine, but he said I really needed to find a way to slow down because, as he put it, I seemed completely spent. Now, I wouldn't say I was going through an especially stressful period, but I was coming to the end of an unusually busy few months of giving talks during a time of the year when I'm not normally quite as busy. Still, if you asked me a couple weeks ago what my stress level was, I probably would have said not that high. And I think that's the point. I think we can sometimes get acclimated to how much stress we put on ourselves and we become somewhat desensitized to the pace we choose to maintain in our careers and lives. So you don't always know how much stress or exhaustion your body's actually dealing with until your body starts to shout at you to slow down or something worse happens. This is something I'm really trying to get better at, specifically trying to set more reasonable expectations for what I want to get done each day, not only related to my work, but in the rest of my life. There are a lot of things I commit myself to doing that I don't actually have to do. Some of it's definitely important to my business, but I've been trying to pull back on a few things because as Chinway mentioned, You can get into this rhythm where you feel like everything is a necessity, but you have to sometimes choose because there's only so many hours in the day. So just to give you a couple examples, I'm a contributing writer to Forbes and Fast Company, which is something I enjoy doing, but it's completely discretionary for me and something I only tend to do on the side. Trying to pump out an article every other week for Forbes, which is what I tried to do for most of 2018, was a pace I just found unsustainable and sort of unenjoyable. So now I try to write for them whenever I'm feeling inspired and excited to do so. With this very podcast, I used to try to put out a new episode every two weeks, but now I've accepted that it's going to be more like once every three to four weeks. Now, would I love to put more content out there more regularly? Absolutely. But no one's forcing me to do that. So anyway, I've really just tried to loosen my grip on things a little bit and just give myself permission to step away from the cadence that I set for myself. What I've started to realize is 
that I don't necessarily have to push myself to operating at 110% all the time in order to feel productive. That it's okay to have some downtime. That it's okay to not squeeze a crazy amount of things into every single day. And that surgically slowing down parts of my work doesn't really cause my business to suffer as long as I'm still committed to some sort of reasonable cadence of productivity. So anyway, I'm trying to loosen my grip on some of the discretionary activities in my life that I feel are important, but certainly not as important as my health, work-life balance, and well-being. Most of all, I'm really trying to make sure I set reasonable goals related to what I can reasonably get done each day without overextending myself. So if you find yourself juggling a lot of balls, and more importantly, if you pride yourself in being able to juggle a lot of balls and dig deep to maintain that intense pace of work in your own life, I'd encourage you to reconsider if you really have to be doing every single thing you're doing as often as you do. This brings me to a quote from the American comedian Eddie Cantor. Slow down and enjoy life. It's not only the scenery you miss by going too fast, you also miss the sense of where you're going and why. So my challenge to you is to take stock of all the key work activities that are filling the hours of your day and loosen your grip on one of them. I'm not saying to just slack off and chill, but I'm challenging you to allow yourself to just slow things down with one activity you regularly invest your time and energy into. See what happens, see how you feel, and most importantly, see if dropping from 110% to 90% effort, or even less, ends up benefiting you in some other way. If you're enjoying Career Relaunch and you want to share a particular challenge you're wrestling with in your own career change journey, I'd welcome you leaving me a voicemail with your thoughts or your question at careerrelaunch.net slash 59, where you can also find a summary of all the key concepts from today's conversation with Chinwei and learn more about her great places to work and pocket suite. In our next episode of Career Relaunch, we're heading back over to London, where I'll be speaking with a former vice president of a pharmaceutical company who decided to make a clean break from the corporate world to clarify where to take her career. We're going to talk about her decision to depart from one company without another role lined up and how she's thinking about her next move. Thanks so much for listening to Career Relaunch and a special thanks again to Chinwe Anyagoro for joining us today from San Francisco. This episode was mixed by Richard Pennington. Electrocardiogram wrote and performed our original theme song. I'm Joseph Liu, and I'll see you next time.